Good to be with you guys this morning. I am Matt Boyer. I'm pastor of students here at Daybreak. All right. Hey. I don't often get claps just for my name alone. That was fantastic. Although I'd like to see that implemented from here on out. Even if you're just talking about me in conversation, Matt Boyer. All right. And now I've taken it too far. All right. So yeah, I guess you, Casey's correct. You probably will. There will be a few jokes in here today. Uh, it makes me a little nervous that she set the bar high, that it's going to be a good message. I mean, I hope it will. This would be the first time, if it is. Um, no, hopefully I've done okay in the past, but I'm excited to get the chance to talk to you today. And uh, really, I'm excited about the, the topic. Uh, I love this series that we're doing right now. I really love Easter at daybreak. It really is a really cool, exciting thing, getting out there in the tent together. It's something that I know me and my family look forward to every year, so I'm excited about that and excited to be able to kick off this series uh, leading up to Easter. And so the series is entitled, Go, Joining God in His Passionate Pursuit of People. Now, if we were to tell you, go, and just left it at that and said, all right, message over, go on out, just go. All right, that doesn't really help you, right? So the theme is, the singular idea for this series is go, but knowing go is not enough. What we're going to try to do in the weeks of this series is to help you understand, okay, if Jesus says that I'm to go, here's how I do that. So on a weekly basis, we're going to try to address that. And today here in week one, what we're really trying to do is not so much the nuts and bolts parts of it, of like, hey, this is step by step how you do it. But really what we're trying to do today is align our hearts with God's heart for what this looks like. Like what does it mean to go? What does it mean to be passionate in the pursuit of people the way that God is passionate in his pursuit of people? Now when we think of God, what are some of the words that come to mind? Maybe things like all-powerful or all-knowing, you know, magnificent, glorious, all of these words that are very big to describe a God that honestly is bigger than any of us can imagine which is all accurate and all true. But sometimes that's our only picture of God, isn't it? We only think of him of this huge, amazing God. And we don't necessarily think of him on a personal level. That literally, on an intimate level, he personally cares about every single person in this room. So while he can, all, he can be huge and amazing and all-knowing, he can also be personal and intimate and in love with you. He loves you so much that he is passionately pursuing you. He's pursuing every single one of us. He's not a God that's just this great and magnificent higher power that spun the world into orbit and now he just kind of sits back and hopes that a few of us might make it back to him. No, he's passionately pursuing every one of us. The true picture of God is that he's not one that just sits back and waits for us to come to him, but he eagerly pursues us. And the goal of this series is to highlight that missional nature of God, that God has a mission that we would all come back to Him. He's consistently, eagerly, intensely chasing after every human on planet Earth because He desperately wants each of His children to come back into a relationship with Him. He wants to know them personally. He wants to know you personally. And knowing that, it then turns to us, those that have made that decision to say, I want to follow after Christ, it turns to us that we need to have that same passion in seeing every person on planet Earth, planet Earth that is lost to see them come into a saving relationship with Jesus. 
for them to experience what we ourselves have experienced. Our challenge as followers of Christ is to replicate his passionate pursuit of people. In Matthew 28, we're given this charge. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. We have to go. There's no backup plan. There's no other way that he might show up and do it. We are the plan. Jesus says, go. He says it to each one of, in this, uh, each one of us in this room that have chosen to follow after him. He says, go and make disciples. There's no ifs, ands, and sometimes we're the ones that make all the buts. So how do we align our hearts with God's heart for people? Well, here's how we do it. We embrace God's missional heart when we recognize his blessing as a call to bless. Number one, recognize his blessing as a call to bless. See, when God blesses us, God's blessing on us is not given merely so that we feel good about ourselves. I mean, certainly God does enjoy giving good gifts to his children. I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy it when he blesses us. But he doesn't bless us for that purpose alone. He blesses us with the intention that we will then in turn bless somebody else. He does it with that expectation that we will turn that to somebody else. Now this isn't new stuff. I mean, God has been blessing people to be a blessing for centuries, long before even Jesus was on the earth. Actually, let's look. You guys, I'm sure, remember the story of a guy named Abraham. Well, his name actually originally was Abram. And we're going to look a little bit at his story today and, and kind of how his journey began. In Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, this is what it says. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Go back and underline in that, set, in that passage all of the times that the word bless is used. I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. All peoples on earth will be blessed by you. You ever try to like teach something to somebody and you feel like you have to say it over and over and over until they finally get it, right? I feel like people have to do that with me all the time. Like you say the same thing four or five times and then eventually... The bell will go off and I'll go, oh, what you're saying is I should do this differently. Or here's what I'm supposed to learn from this. And sometimes it's that way in our relationship with God, right? That like he wants to speak something to us, but he has to speak it to us over and over and over again until we finally go, oh, okay, I get it. Now, I don't know for sure that this is one of those kinds of moments with Abram, but I wonder if maybe it was, because God said the same thing so many times throughout that passage. I don't think he wanted Abram to have any doubt at all at what God was calling him to and about the blessing that was going to be poured out on his life. And I do think Abraham or Abram got it. I think he did, because what he did in response to God's promise is that he took his family and he took them on the journey that he was being called to. He left behind a lot of his extended family and You may not know this, but at the time that Abram was called, he was already 75 years old. Now, this is a guy that lived to be 175, so it's a little bit different kind of frame of reference than what we're used to. But at 75, I mean, he had been on the earth for quite some time. I mean, you think you've put down roots. By the time you get to like 30 or 40, you feel like, man, it'd be really hard to uproot my whole life and go somewhere else. Well, Abram at that time had been at it 75 years. 
So it definitely wasn't an easy undertaking for him to say, all right, I'm following what God is calling us to, and I need to take my family with me. I mean, that was a bit of a stretch. And the other thing is that his wife, Sarah, was barren. They hadn't been able to have any kids. And yet God is saying, I will make you into a great nation. I wonder if Abram looked around and was like, I mean, seriously? I, I mean, how, how's that going to happen? How are you going to make me into a great nation? My wife hasn't even had a child yet. And yet God knew what he was doing. So fast forward about 25 years. Abram had just passed the century mark. So he was just over 100 years old. And God again repeated his promise to him that he would be made into a great nation. And though God had continued to bless Abraham by increasing his wealth and his holdings, uh, he still had not actually had a child with his wife Sarah. He did actually have one with one of his maid ser- or with one of her maidservants, but Sarah herself was still barren. And so God was about to do something big, and it wasn't just about the baby. You see, God at that moment in time gave Abram a new identity. It was like in that moment he said, you are no longer Abram, you are Abraham. And it wasn't just about the name change, it was about what that name meant. You see, Abram meant exalted father and really referred more to God. So when you said Abram, that was like the idea of saying he is or God is exalted father. But when it was changed to Abraham, it was a slight change, but it had a lot of meaning behind it. Is that Abraham actually meant father of many and referred not to God himself, but to Abraham directly. And so he was saying, I'm taking, you not, I'm taking you from where your meaning just used to be in being my son. Now you are my son, but also you have a new identity where I'm going to use you as a father to the nations, a father of many. And at the age of 100, true to God's promise, Abraham's wife, Sarah, had a baby. And it actually even talks about in there that both of them laughed in response to it when God told them. I mean, sometimes you might look at them and be like, oh, well, they didn't believe God's promise. That's pretty messed up. I mean, seriously, though, really? A hundred years old, she hasn't had a baby, and then God's like, oh, yeah, you're going to be pregnant. I think I would have laughed, too. I think it would have been a little funny. But through Isaac, their child's name was Isaac, God then would eventually build a great nation. And what's really cool is that when you continue reading in the book of Genesis... You read about Isaac's family, and just like it said about Abraham's family, that God blessed him and he continued to prosper and things went well, you see the same thing with Isaac's family. Now, I'm not saying there weren't bumps in the road. If you read this entire story, you'll see that there's a lot of them. But ultimately, because of their decision to say, I'm going to respond to God's blessing on my life by being a blessing to somebody else. I'm going to allow me, I'm going to allow myself to be a small part of God's larger blessing that God was able to do what Abraham had been called to do. So we should take great courage in Abraham's story because in the same way, each of us that have chosen to follow Christ, we've been blessed by a new identity in him. I mean, we may not have received a new name in the same sense that Abraham did, but we have changed. He's given us a new identity because we find ourselves in him, in our relationship with God the Father. And we have the incredible opportunity to now take that thing that we've been blessed with the beginning of our relationship with him, that we can pass that on as a blessing to somebody else. And that's an exciting thing. We've been blessed, just like Abraham, to be a blessing. Now this approach to blessing is incredible because it results in exponential growth. When we receive God's blessing, then choose to be a channel for his blessing to somebody else, our lives will ultimately influence others to be a blessing too. And the reason that God uses us as vessels to do it is that there's great benefit for us in being a blessing to somebody else. 
Have you ever noticed when somebody's truly thankful for something you've done for them, some way that you have blessed them, that it feels really good for you too? You feel like, wow, like I was used to be a blessing to somebody else because of the way that God has blessed me. I can tell you that when you have the opportunity to introduce somebody in, uh, to a relationship with Jesus for the very first time, like that can be that uh, multiplied by a thousand. There's that level of excitement of, okay, I received this blessing when I began my relationship with God, and now I've had the opportunity to pass that on to somebody else. That's amazing and exciting and awesome. So I really love that God uses us as a part of his growth pattern for the church, or for the, when I say the church, I mean the church worldwide. I think that's just amazing that we get to be a part of it. That's awesome. So now I'm sure that many of you have seen these YouTube videos that are out there that are these flash mobs, okay? And what a flash mob is, is there'll be just a group of people that shows up in a random location, and to the crowd there, they have no idea, but this group has like worked hard to rehearse something and and make it happen, and they do this dance, and it's just like these crazy things. So there's videos all over YouTube about it, and I'm sure you've seen some of these YouTube videos before. Some of them have been used for marriage proposals. There's one that's pretty popular that she's like seated in the back of the van, and they're doing this whole proposal thing, and there's, they've even done them for, uh, for weddings, like people have flash mobs as a part of their wedding, and they use them for funerals, and not, re- not really for funerals. But you have my permission. When I die, you can do a flash mob at my funeral. Because I want you guys to be having a good time. Matt's gone. See, it's my name again. Matt Boyer. Yeah. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Okay, but the thing about these is that they're significant because there's a large number of people participating in something for a larger impact. I mean, it's one thing if I were to just choose to dance by myself up here this morning. I mean, it would be lame, right? I mean, you guys would probably have a good laugh about it, but it wouldn't really serve much of a purpose. It wouldn't make much of an impact for just me to stand around and dance. So we want to show you what that looks like. So we have a YouTube video that we want to show you. If you could pay your attention to the screens and watch this flash mob, it's a really cool illustration of what we're talking about. Raindrops rolling off my brim. Street lights got the pavement glistening. Touchdown, I fall into your arms. Right where I belong, your everlasting arms. And where would I be without you? I'll be back in my bag when I need to stay. I'll be chasing every breeze that blows my way. I'll be building my 
Well, I'm glad I can make this all about me this morning. (laughs) I said in the first service, after everybody was done clapping, I was like, man, this is awesome. All the students do all the work, and then I get to receive the applause. (laughs) They've all already left the room. They're back in the back. I hope they liked it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm amazing. (laughs) Oh, my. All right, so I got to catch my breath here. I feel like the first three minutes back, I'm like trying to speak, but also learn to breathe again. All right. 
So here's the point (laughs) of all that, is that God doesn't bless us with new life in him just so that we can keep it to ourselves. You know, we're a small part of something bigger that God is doing. But I want you to know that each one of you is essential to the plan that God has in mind. Each one of you in this room, even if you don't feel like you are essential, in God's mind you are essential. And if we choose to selfishly hold on to the blessings that we've received, if we just keep that to ourselves and we refuse to pass it on to those around us, then there are those around us that are missing out on the blessing that God wants to give to them. Now, I'm not saying that God can't provide another avenue for that person to experience their blessing, but it just goes back to what we were talking about before. Don't you want to be a part of that? If you can be the vehicle to give that blessing to that other person, to see them come to a relationship with God, then we should really be pursuing that with everything we've got. Now, if we had trained all these people to be a part of this flash mob dance, but then when we actually went to do it, they all got cold feet and they didn't stand up, it wouldn't have accomplished its purpose, right? I mean, especially for that first group of three that had to stand up when nobody else was standing up. It's certainly within reason that they could have been like, I'm not doing this. (laughs) Especially like first service, because we really didn't know how it was going to be received. We felt a little bit more confident going into the second one. We were like, they might like start throwing things at us. (laughs) But yeah, if they hadn't have been able to take that initial bold step, it would have been hard for anybody else to take the step of being a part of that big thing. So all I'm saying is this, is don't miss out on your chance to bless somebody else out of the blessing that you've received. Be part of something greater. God's poured blessing out on you and use that blessing to be a blessing to somebody else. When we recognize that we've been blessed to be a blessing and we actively share that blessing when we come in contact with, with the people that we come in contact with every day, we are engaging with God's missional heart. And that's what we're talking about today. We are engaging with God's missional heart. We're recognizing that the small part we play in our minds, the thing that we think is a small part, is in reality a huge thing to God. And he is so excited when each one of us take that step to be a blessing. But that's not the only thing we must embrace if we're going to replicate God's passionate pursuit of people. He also calls us to, number two, echo his passion to find what was lost. Now, have you ever lost something, like something really important to you? So not like, not a sock or like a pen in the couch, or for those of you with young kids, like even a toy, you know, toys get misplaced. I, honestly, I've got young kids. I've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and one that's just like four months now. I'm actually happy when some of those toys get misplaced unintentionally. Oh, you mean we left the chicken dance, tickle me Elmo singing thing in your house? Oh, that's too bad. I'm so disappointed that's lost like high-fiving my wife in the background. But on the other hand, what happens when I, when I lose my car keys? Oh, man, then I'm like freaking out. And don't you always lose your car keys at the moment that you're already late for somewhere, right? You're like running around the house, going crazy trying to find them. Or maybe your wallet. I mean, there's that like sense of urgency, like, oh, no, I lost my wallet. I got to find my wallet. I got to get it back in my possession. Or for some of you, I know that this applies to me, during the middle of football season, if you lose the remote, there's this sense of panic. I want to be able to watch both games, but I can't flip back and forth. But when it comes to God, the thing that he is frantically, passionately searching for is you. Think about the impact of that statement. The thing that is most important to him, the thing that he values most, is you. And he's passionately, fervently searching for you. 
You see, we, we search for something that's lost because we value it. If we lose something that we don't value, we just, oh, okay, we lost it. But if we value something, we'll do anything. We'll turn the house upside down in order to find that lost thing. And that's the way God is in pursuit of you. He cares about you and he loves you so much that he literally changed the course of history so that he could begin a relationship with you. In Luke 15, Jesus uses three stories to teach us just how highly God values the lost that he pursues. And these three parables that are told in this chapter each tell us a unique part of God's character when it comes to his pursuit of us. In the story of the lost son, we see his enduring patience, but also his eager anticipation of his child returning. So we see that in the lost son. In the lost coin, we learn that he will intentionally and carefully search for any one of us that is lost. And in the parable of the lost sheep, we really learn about the all-out nature of his pursuit of us. That he will leave the 99 to go after the one. And today we're going to take a few moments to just take a closer look at the story of the lost sheep as recorded here in Luke 15. You can follow along in your program guide this morning uh, or on the screens. Luke 15, 4-7 from the New Living Translation says, and this is Jesus speaking, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So what's unique about this story? I mean, it leads off this trio of three stories that in some sense you could say they're about the same thing because they have this single common theme, and that is God gets really excited when he reconnects with lost people. But what is it that we can learn about him in this story that's unique to the other two parables? Or maybe more accurately, what is it that we can learn about us, specifically in this story about the lost sheep? Well, I think to be able to answer that question, we need to look at what is the, the relationship of a sheep to the shepherd? What does that really look like? And the shepherd to the sheep. According to dictionary.com, the role of a shepherd is to herd, tend, guard, guide, protect, and watch over the sheep. And literally, they will risk everything for the sheep. That's their job. In the same way, God is the great shepherd, and he will take great risks in order to pursue us. The concept of God as a shepherd is not really a new one. It's been around for a while. Uh, God had long ago promised to the people of Israel that they were sheep under his care, that he was the great shepherd. Look what it says in Ezekiel 35, 34, 15 to 16. I really love this whole chapter, so if you get a chance, go back and read the whole thing. But for this morning, we're just going to read 15 to 16a. It says, I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. So the readers of this text were familiar with the idea of what a sheep was to a shepherd and how the shepherd cared for the sheep. And when we look at, when we look at the passage today, we have like a decent understanding of that. But let me, let me throw a couple more things at you regarding that relationship that you may not be aware of. You see, the relationship of sheep to shepherd is a very unique one, and it's very different between, it, the relationship there is much different than the relationship between the woman and her lost coin or the father and the son in the lost son. It's very different. And here's how it's different. With sheep, they don't make this conscious decision to walk away. It's not like the sheep just says, oh, I'm fed up with this shepherd and I'm out of here. He doesn't take me to the, to the right places of grass that I like and I'm gone. 
It's not this defiant decision to say, oh, I'm, I'm going on my own. I'm marching a different path and he can't stop me. It's not that. It's not a defiance. And the thing with the widow and her coin, like she's very excited to find her coin, but the coin really has no dependent relationship on the widow. And in the lost son story, you have a son who eventually comes back to a, a relationship with his father, but at least for a while says, oh, I can do it on my own. I don't need my father. I can do it on my own. I can be successful without him. But the sheep doesn't have those thoughts of, oh, I can be successful without my shepherd. The sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. And when the sheep stray, it's like I said, it's not this conscious decision to walk away. But what it is, is that they, they sort of lose their way without intending to do it. I found a great commentary this week that explained the ability of sheep to get lost this way. It says they nibble their way into lostness. They move from one tuft of green grass to the next. They keep moving along from tuft to tuft, sometimes right through a hole in the fence. When they're done nibbling, they can't find the hole, and then they're lost. That sounds a lot more like me. And it probably sounds a lot more like some of you in this room. That in the times of our life where we walked away from God, or maybe before we came to Him for the first time, for most of us, I'm sure that there, there may be some in the room today, but probably for most of us, it wasn't that we said, God, that's it, I've had it, I'm out of here. But it was small areas that we felt like, oh, I'm just going to kind of nibble on this temptation here. And I'm just going to go over here, I'm going to nibble in this spot for a little while. And then some other thing that tempts us draws us away. And then something else pulls our gaze until all of a sudden we get to a place where we go, oh man, I'm so far from God, I don't even know how to find Him again. Like, you might find yourself in that place today. You might feel like, yeah, I'm that sheep that has nibbled my way into lostness. I really feel like I used to have a close relationship with God, but now I feel very far from Him. Or you might be here today and you say, you know what, I've never had that kind of a relationship with God. But that does describe my journey. I'm further and further away from where I really want to be. Well, this is your opportunity to come home today. To invite God to be your great shepherd to bring you into his flock so that he can care for you, so that you can follow according to the sound of his voice. Now, for those of you that are Christ followers in this room today, why is this important for us to hear? I mean, why do we need to know this if we are truly going to echo God's passion for the lost? Well, we have to understand that we all, every single one of us in this room, every single person on earth, we have all been lost. We've all been lost. The only difference is that some of us have returned to the shepherd. And what we take from that is that none of us is any better or worse than any other person that we're seated next to. We've all been lost. And we've all, some of us have returned to the shepherd. And that's why when we read that verse and, and we see that Jesus says, oh, well, I'll leave the 99 to go after the one. For some of us, if we're Christ followers, we read that and we're like, well, what the heck is that about? Why does he care about the lost more than he cares about me? Well, he doesn't care about the lost more than he cares about you. He cares about you just the same because you also were once lost. And the only difference is the timing of your celebration. Your celebration already happened. When you had that moment where you came into a relationship with him, he was excited. And he said, oh man, I'm so excited that you were lost and now you are found. And when somebody else is lost and they are found, then we need to rejoice in the same way for them. And that's really what I'm getting at. Is that sometimes we can approach this idea of being a blessing to somebody else or praying for people that are lost. We can approach it with a sense of like, superiority or like this thought of like well 
I'm a Christ follower, so I have it all together, and let's play for all of the lost people that don't have it together. We're all lost, okay? So let's just recognize that this morning. Recognize we are all lost at one point, and the only difference is where we are at in our journey, whether we have chosen to receive Christ as our Savior or whether we haven't come to that point yet. I want to pray for you guys this morning. Actually, what I really want to do is I want to invite you to pray with me. Um, This is kind of like, I'm not quite wrapped up with the message yet, but I just really want to give you the opportunity today. If you want to invite Jesus into your life, if you want to ask him to be your shepherd today, I want to give you a moment to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. You don't need to pray out loud with me, but I just want you to agree in prayer as I pray. If you would say either, I want to return to him, I was close to him once and I need to return to him today. Or you might say, I'm lost. I've never had a relationship with God, but I want to know what that's about. Then just agree with me as I pray. Lord, I love you. And I know that you love every one of us. We're all lost sheep. We come to you you this morning and say, honestly, we've made a lot of mistakes. But Lord, we know that you will take us if we come to you. So today we come to you and we ask that you would forgive us, that you would make us new, that you would give us a fresh start. We want you to lead our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, for those of you that just returned to Jesus, the Good Shepherd, I want you to know that there is literally a party going on in heaven right now. All right? That's awesome. Yeah, you can give that a hand clap. If I tell you to clap for Matt Boyer and I don't tell you to clap for that, that's pretty messed up. Now, there is a party going on in heaven for you right now. And that is, that is serious. That's in the Bible. There's no doubt about that. God is so excited that you made that choice. I want you to know that your church family here at Daybreak is also very excited for you. And we want to do the best that we can to provide you with resources in order for you to continue on your journey with Jesus. So today we've learned that we can embrace God's missional heart when we recognize His blessing as a call to bless, and also that we must echo God's passion for the lost. But what does that look like on a daily basis? I think we have a quote here that sums it up really well. It's from Bill Hybels in his book, Walk Across the Room. He says, one thing I've learned is that life's great moments evolve from simple acts of cooperation with God's mysterious promptings, nudges that always lean toward finding what's been lost and freeing what's been enslaved. If we're going to do this, if we're really going to commit to this as Christ followers, if we're going to say, I'm going to bless others because of the blessing I've received, if we're really going to say, we're going to echo God's passion for the lost, the only way we can do that is through cooperating with the Holy Spirit and the work that He wants to do in our lives. If you walk out of this building today and say, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm going to bless more often. I'm just going to really concentrate and do a good job. Eventually, we're going to fail. And where's that going to leave us, right? That's like the New Year's resolutions. We all set back in January. We've probably forgotten them by now, right? It's not just a resolution. It's saying, Holy Spirit, I want to cooperate with you and lead me to opportunities to bless somebody else. Lead me to opportunities to echo your passion for the lost. If you're going to echo God's passion for the lost, that might mean for you that there might be like an uncomfortable moment where you feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to share your story. And you're going to be like, no, I'm not sharing my story right now. And the Holy Spirit is going to say, no, I really want you to share your story. And then you can follow through on that. You can be a, bless- you can be a blessing to that person. And you can echo God's passion for the lost. We have to ask God to change us from the inside out. Okay. So don't leave here today thinking, i got to do better. What we need to do more of is inviting the Holy Spirit to do better through us. Allow Him to do His work. To conclude today, 
I'd like you to flip your outlines over to the back. There's actually a few reflection questions on there to kind of determine, is my heart aligned with God's missional heart? And my, really my desire in you guys doing this is that you would not just say, oh, I need to kind of check myself on how I'm doing, but that you would actually say, Holy Spirit, guide me through this process. So that means you don't have to feel obligated to go down every question on that list. Maybe you just say, Holy Spirit, show me one thing on here that I need to work on. Show me one thing on here that I'm really doing well. Maybe that's it for you today. But I would encourage you to take some time as we sing together in a moment to reflect on those things and to consider, is my heart really aligned with God's missional heart? Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a word of prayer, but before I do, I want you to also grab your response card and hold that in the other hand. So you've got your outline in one hand, you've got your response card in the other. Your response card is this white card. It says Daybreak Church on it. And it gives you a way to just kind of record your thoughts on what God's saying to you today. Here's how I'd like, to encourage, I'd like to encourage you to use this today, is that maybe you've seen God change you or work in you based on some of those reflect, reflection questions. Go ahead and put that on your response card. Tell us how it is that we can either be excited for you or praying for you when it comes to this idea of being aligned with God's missional heart. Also, if you are somebody today that prayed that prayer and said, I want to invite Jesus into my life, whether it was for the first time or whether this was you returning to him, we'd really love for you to record that on your response card today. Because like I said earlier, we want to give you resources. We want to come, along, come alongside of you and encourage you and pray for you. And we can only do that if we know about the decision that you made today. Uh, so I'd encourage you to do that. You know what these next few moments really are? This is what I really believe this, this provides for us every week is that this response card time is our moment to really just sit and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? There's a lot of stuff that's happened today. You know, there's a lot of things that I've said, but what is it specifically that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today that you're going to be able to walk away with? Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We love you very much. And we have all been lost. We have all been in that place. We're together in that. You know, there's almost like, not almost, there's a sense of camaraderie in that. That we've all been lost. And that's affirming to know that. Uh, we've all been like sheep without a shepherd. For many of us, we have returned to you. And I, I'm thankful for that. I thank you, Lord, that you, you accepted me. You've accepted me many times when I've returned to you. I thank you that though I once was lost, I have now been found. And I'm so thankful that you rescued me. I know that we're all thankful here that we've all been rescued by you. We've been blessed by you, so God, use us to be a blessing. We have been pursued by you, so God, use us to be pursuers. We really want to echo your passion for those that are still lost. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak to us in this moment. Align our hearts with the missional heart of God. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.